Hello, 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 everybody. This is an episode, episode two of Strange Lunch. On this episode, we're going to be covering things of the sort when it comes to media and our power over information. So I got my little cup of coffee here and my cool fox cup for the salute. We have a cup of water, which of that I'm going to take a sip, stay hydrated. And I set up my 36 Chambers poster in the background. So if you guys know, you know. Um, I, I went back after knowing about Wu-Tang. I went back and kind of like watched these karate flicks. Because I know that my dad um, grew up on that kind of stuff. But there was this really cool DVD store on 14th Street, Union Square, New York, for you guys who are not in New York, um, there was this DVD store where you can get $5 DVDs at a time, like in, I don't know, maybe 2010, 2009. That place is long gone, but it was a really dope place. As a matter of fact, there's a poster behind here that I was able to cop for $5 when the place was going out of business. And I was like, hey, what you gonna do with that poster? And he's like, $5, bro. Look, okay, so that's what we're doing. Um, actually, it's not back there. I gotta go find the, the poster unless I threw it out, which would be a heartbreak. Mm. But it was basically Reservoir Dogs. Now I'm a little concerned. I think I threw away my Reservoir Dog, po Reservoir Dog poster. It was like really big and everything too. It was really dope. And it went really well with the... Um, the seven venoms because i think what is that one two three four five masks it was five no the five venoms i didn't even say seven venoms I, seven venom studios was my old podcasting that um station that i set up a long time ago five venoms and reservoir dogs there were five people so it just matched really well i wish i could show you the image i probably uh Make that the special image for this podcast. So, um, first and foremost, I want to give a special shout out to Pussies Read on Instagram. Um, it's curated by this wonderful Dominican woman who wants to facilitate a space where, you know, conversations about books happen and stuff like that. And that's the page that I decided that I'm going to like work with and pump up to hopefully they become successful and able to create content around books and things like that because I think that we should encourage one another to start creating these infrastructures using technology and this is an infrastructure I think this is like a part of our community you know the ability to get on camera and share information I think that this is the way that we have to interact to create the change we want to see in the world and um, increase our value in our com local communities. And that's going to be another conversation after another conversation, especially because of this writer that I'm going to bring up. So the book that I'm going to like quickly go over is Media Virus. The book talks mostly about memes and it was written in like 94, 92. Um, I, I got this at a thrift store um, for a dollar. Hidden Agendas in Popular Culture. And I just found it intriguing, you know? It's not like, 
I don't know. I felt weird when I got the book because it does look very like sci-fi, matrixy, and I didn't want to be those weirdos. But luckily enough, I got it. I flipped through it, and when I read the whole book, once I started reading the book, I couldn't put it down because I found a big interest in understanding what the people in the 90s were thinking. And then the author himself, I got to know, um, not personally, but I just got hooked on the author's writing, um, Douglas Rushkoff, and his kind of approach to understanding the media landscape. And like I've, now I have almost all his books. I have Present Shock. Um, that, that was written around the time that Twitter and Facebook was emerging. And he spoke about like this fake now that gets, uh, that has tricked us into thinking that it's a now it's really weird. So like we have the present now that's ever flowing, ever changing, and it's on its way out while it's on its way in type of thing. Um, online, it's always the past. And it gives us the illusion of it being now. Like, that's how fast it's happened. It's a really strange concept to wrap your head around. But present shock is the feeling that we've leaned so far into the future that we've become frozen. And that's what Twitter is and stuff like that. It's like, it's a we, and it has a lot. The book itself advocates for getting back in tune with the rhythms of nature and the rhythms of your uh natural biology so like get to know what the moon phases are and how it affects your mind like all these crazy little things that i think that people are right now gravitating towards especially people who like astrology and are into esoteric things even though this stuff is not esoteric because cultures in the past had rituals because they naturally kind of understood the different phases of the moon the phases of the moon have like four major phases and within those four major phases, um, you know when to be industrious, when to be reflective, when to go out and party, because the moon phases um, are have a relationship with the neurotransmitters in our head. You know, it's not hard, it's not it's not difficult to imagine that that being the case. So, on this episode, I wanted to talk about how we live in a digital Athens and that's kind of like what we're talking about right now um, that pe technology has advanced so quickly that we're just catching up to it you know figuring out how to interact with it and I would say that there's so much information coming into our lives that it's really really hard to filter that in Ayurveda they have this principle Ayurveda is like a sister science to, to yoga it has everything to do with diet and energies. Um, but in Ayurveda, from my Ayurveda lesson that I had at Sweetwater, they spoke about how to be healthy, you just need to make sure that you're taking care of one process in your body. The, the process of taking in, the process of assimilating that which you took in, and then the process of letting it out, you know? And that's digestion, obviously. Like you eat food, you assimilate the food, you wanna make sure that your body is absorbing what it needs to absorb. And then another very important part, you wanna make sure that you are getting rid of the things you don't need. Because then that stuff builds up and starts to like, if that gets clogged, you know, toxins and things. So you wanna have a healthy intake, assimilation and output. And I think the same thing 
for the mind. The same thing for information. So what I would say the remedy is for, and that's why like, I want to encourage people to create, 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 or figure out things to do that influence the world, like make collages, I would say create podcasts, create music. I think art and um, this act of creating, what it does is it starts to hack and slash at reality and allows you to get more control over it and you know with good intention and with uh enterprising vision or like just having a vision we can create the things that we need to live in this ever-changing world you know um we definitely need better community you know i i have a a personal connection to the police state i don't want to get too deep into it but you know like i'm very watchful of what that's what the issues are around that you know for like i spiritually have a purpose within that conversation i just don't want to talk about it right now um i think that i think that we need to build better communities and networks so that we have healthy communities so that there is no need for police, you know, that's my point of view. We need to, as a people, create better communities and better infrastructure so that we don't need people to police us like that. And I think that's important. Um, yeah, so part of that is this, you know, these are, these are infrastructures, the way that we communicate, the way we commune and come together you know i did my first episode on ig live i think the purpose of doing it on ig live was like hey like let this be a community thing but now i'm doing this today as a pre-recorded video with my own time so i can pull together some resources so we're living in a digital a athens we have um ideas that we need to filter and I think that we filter it through creation and um, through expressing our intelligence so that's collages music paintings like be a podcast um, forums um, we have the we now have a huge power of presentation now you know the internet allows us to present ourselves constantly so now we can relay better information, relevant information to one another. And unless we start to speak up, and when I say we, it's a very abstract we, but whatever we is a part of whatever community, the more you speak up, you speak to the needs of the people around you. That's what I think. Because um, you emerge to make things better. I think that we're wired to create a better world. You know? Uh, from the person that invented the easiest way to gather food, you know, everything from agriculture to what we have now and in progress is because people have been thinking about how can I make this better? How can I fix whatever problems going on? You know, we're problem solvers. Um, and that's a whole other thing. So I think that culture and norms are informed by us and technology has evolved in a way that that it's way faster than we can process. So um, in November, I made a song called Calaveras. And in that song, there's a line that goes, Esta vida no es una novela. So this 
life is not a a, a soap opera, you know. Uh, we've evolved past the, the days of television. You know, television was created in 1927 in the Roaring 20s. That's almost 100 years ago, television. So 100 years, television has evolved into what you have right now, a smartphone that is not a television per se, but it's like this thing where you can now put yourself into and be part of television. You're on TV now, you know? This is where attention is and we have now come full circle. In 1927, people were not sitting, not, everybody was not sitting around watching television. People were out there doing stuff, socializing and doing whatever it is that they were doing in 1927. Um, and then towards, you know, 30s, 40s, as television started to become a more prominent thing, more televisions and households, people started to be more glued to it, you know, television programming all the way up until the, like 80s, 70s, 90s, you know, people, you know, got glued to the thing. And um, uh, the technology of television um, also dictates a lot of people's behaviors, even like the malfunctions, in my opinion, where it's like television first had the the dial knobs, so you have a, you would have to get up and change the the channel. Then we created the the remote control, so you can sit down on your couch and channel surf, and that changed um, our control over the media. The, the the remote control became the the joystick to play video games. So now you started manipulating not only you weren't like just changing channels and breaking what they call narrative. That's what this book is about. Also, the collapse of narrative because you were able... To, I'm going to do a whole other podcast about this, refining the ideas, but this is my first one. So, with the remote control, you would break down narratives. If there was like a story you didn't really want to hear, you just move on to another story, you know? The television is somewhat of a like the fireplace, the replacement of the fire that we would sit around and tell stories. Um, and then now we're at the joysticks video game level and now we have laptops and computers where we now influence what shows up on the screen more, you know? Like now I'm on TV. This is the new I'm on TV, you know? This is the new Jimmy Carson. This is the new late night with Jimmy Fallon or whatever. Uh, yeah, and I think that that's we need to like catch up culturally, and everything's about catching up culturally, so that we can get the value that we need from these things. Um, the inventor, what's really this is like little trivia, fun fact stuff. The inventor of the television was Filio Fonsworth, and he shares the same name, or actually, his name inspired Futurama's The Old Man. Good news, everybody. Uh, Hubert J. Fonsworth, the, the old man from Futurama, they named the old man from Futurama, and he's actually a descendant of Filio Fonsworth. So um, that's a little fun fact. Uh, boom. So media virus. Uh, I want to read an excerpt from it. The average American home has more media gathering technology than the state-of-the-art newsroom did 10 years ago. Satellite dishes spot the plains of Nebraska. Personal computers equipped with modems are standard equipment in a teenager's bedroom. Cable boxes linking families to 70 or more choices of programming 
are a suburban necessity and camcorders, Xerox machines, and faxes have become accessible and easy to operate as public payphones. Household television top interactive media centers are already available promising each access to coming data to the coming data superhighway. Like it or not, we have become an information-based society. We are living in an age where the value of data, images, and ideologies have surpassed the material acquisitions and physical territory. Gone are the days when a person's social stature could be measured by the distance he had walked to see smoke from his neighbor's campfire. We finally reached the limits of our continental landmasses. We view the earth from space over national broadcast television. The illusion of boundless territorial frontiers have been destroyed forever. There's simply no more room, nothing left to colonize. While this may keep real estate prices high, it also demands that real growth an associated accumulation of wealth and power occur on some other level. The only place left for our civilization to expand, our only real frontier, is the ether itself, the media. As a result, power today has little to do with how much property a person holds or commands. It is instead determined by how many minutes of prime time television or pages of news media attention she can access or occupy. The ever-expanding media has become a true region, a place as real and seemingly open as the globe was 500 years ago. This new space is called the datasphere. So, what have we read here and what have we learned? That um, we got no else place to colonize, so now we're in the world of information. And this was written in the 90s. So, imagine the power that we have in our own rooms now. And that's why I'm bringing this up. Because I want to empower the people who listen to my podcast to go out and create and use these tools. Because... We're not living as regular humans anymore, you know? Um, the space that we occupy, the way that we interact with one another, this is so useful because I can upload this and reach, you know, my hundred followers, you know, the, or well, I would like to use the word observers, you know, viewers, uh, community members. Followers is a whack word. I don't think we should, we should use that because that's too... The power dynamic is off in that word. Language matters. Um, I want to read one more thing. I, I'm going to just read this and let y'all kind of decipher what you just heard because I'm going to take it apart a little bit, but not too much. I'm working on my method. So that's why I'm going to put out a lot of pot content. So this is probably going to come up again once the ideas start to marinate in my head. So, okay, now this is memes. This book taught me a lot about memes before I even got on Instagram. So that's how you become a meme god, guys. Uh, if, you, if we are to understand the datasphere as an extension of a planetary ecosystem or just the breeding grounds for new ideas in our culture, then we must come to terms with the fact that the media events provoking real social changes are more than simple Trojan horses. They are media viruses. Memes. This term is not to be used as a metaphor. These media events are not like viruses, they are viruses. Most of us are familiar with the biological viruses that are like the ones that cause the flu, the common cold, and perhaps even AIDS. As they are currently understood by the medical community, viruses are unlike bacteria or germs because they are not living things. 
They are simply protein shells containing genetic material. The attacking virus uses the pro protective and sticky protein casings to latch onto a healthy cell and inject its own genetic code, essentially genes, inside. The virus code mixes and competes for control with the cell's own genes. If victorious, it permanently alters the way the cell functions and reproduces. A particularly virulent Vir virulent strain will transform the host cell into a factory that replicates the virus. It's really a battle for command of the cell, fought between the cell's own genetic programming, DNA, and viruses invading the code. Whether the cell's existing code are weak or confused, the virus will have a better chance of taking over. Further, if the host organism has a weak immune system, it is susceptible, susceptible to invasion is dramatically increased. It cannot recognize that it's being attacked and can't mobilize its defenses. The protein shell of a virus is a Trojan horse. The genetic codes are the soldiers hidden inside, battling our own genes in attempt to change the way our cells operate. The only intention of the virus, if it can be said, to have one is to spread its own code as far and wide as possible from cell to cell from organism to organism media viruses spread through the data sphere the same way biological ones spread through the body or community but instead of traveling along the organic circulatory system a media virus travels through the networks of the media space the protein shell of a media virus might be an event invention technology system of thought musical riff visual image, scientific theory, sex scandal, clothing style, or even a pop hero, as long as it could catch our attention. Any one of these media virus shells will search out the receptive nooks and crannies in popular culture and stick onto anywhere it is noticed. Once attached, the virus injects its more hidden agenda into the data stream in the form of ideological code, not genes, but a conceptual equivalent we now call memes. Oh. Like real genetic material, these memes infiltrate the way we do business, educate ourselves, interact with one another, even the way we perceive reality. So that's what I wanted to share with you guys today to kind of like, I don't know, I think that I'm going to win at this podcasting as long as I give good information and I build a good story for people to think. And I think this has a lot to do with health, in my opinion. I think the helping pe people become self-aware and aware of the times that we're living in in the best way possible, we can all start making better decisions because understanding that marketing, that sorcery, you know what I'm saying? Like that's like changing the code in your head, you know? Like I don't have a better way of saying it right now, but yeah. So this was strange lunch because this is pretty strange it's pretty weird what we have on our fork today you know um william s burroughs said strange lunch is the frozen moment where everybody realizes that which every like what everybody has on their fork the naked moment that's a naked lunch sorry so strange lunch is that but you know bending reality a little bit uh making it trippy so Thank you guys for listening. Welcome. Thank you for joining my TED Talk. And shout out to Douglas Rushkoff. Shout out to Pussies Reed. Listen to my SoundCloud. You can find me on Kale Dad. Um, Kale underscore Dad on Instagram. 
Fa uh, not father father of the kale um the real kale dad on twitter the new kale times on tumblr and if you already listen to this podcast you know how to find the podcast so and uh i don't know what the youtube url is when i find out i'm gonna say it on the next episode so gang shit grr.